that building full of bright, I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello and welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. Today, I'm the Victoria. I'm Jacob. I'm Jamin. I'm glad we established that. <laughs> I'm never sure. <laughs> so it's a little shaky. And um, so what did everybody uh, bring today? Oh, I brought some entertainment. Being savaged by a swarm of wondrously gruesome black and foul lions in a fiery windstorm. Ooh. Is that is that Cajun blackened or? Mm. I, I think it's overdone and possibly mm. left on the back counter blackened. Oh. Mm. Like bananas, but lions. Not some Paul Prudhomme-ish. No, I don't, I don't think so, no. Ooh, no, no. Ooh-wee. Well, lions. Well, uh, it's funny you mentioned the back counter because I've been using <laughs> the back counter a little bit lately. To store avocados. Yeah, exactly. Inspired by last week's Mesopotamian beverage, where you take porridge and you leave it on the back counter until it turns into beer. Uh, I've left four avocados in a bowl in the back counter uncovered. Hopefully the wild yeast in the kitchen will settle upon it and uh, in, what, six weeks' time we'll have a nice avocado lambic? Uh. Hmm. So explain to me what a back counter is. I feel like... Oh, okay. In our house, uh-huh. because Jacob and I both pretend to cook. Jacob cooks very well. I, I apply heat to ingredients. And uh, yeast. We have yeah, and yeast, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of stuff. Uh, we've got like 27 different bottles of flavor and sauce and stuff. We've got like three kinds of soy sauce. So there's a lot of stuff. And so you kind of like, I'm cooking today. And so you pull the stuff out and, and the stuff you use most recently is in front, right? Whereas the stuff you use infrequently kind of gets pushed towards the back. And so like there's layers of counter. And if one were a kitchen archaeologist, one could sift through the bottles and see like a record of our culinary history yeah and so quite often like we'll be rummaging around looking for the sesame oil or the hot sesame oil or the garlic hot sesame oil and we're kind of digging through like moving bottles aside it's like oh i didn't know we still had you know sriracha from whenever like great i could use this so the back counter it's a mystical magical wonder where mysteries are Sort of alchemical space, it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very magical. Oh. Well, that's way more exciting than what I've brought. I brought everybody a drink called a demon possession. Okay. It actually sounds way more refreshing. Like maybe demon possession is is kind of like healthful and something refreshing and delightful. Uh, It is light rum, vodka, Blue curacao, lemonade, and bitters. And you serve this over crushed ice. And it's this lovely blue color. Hmm. None of those are flavors that I associate with demonic possession necessarily, except possibly the rum. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's the whole like demon rum thing. Yeah. But yeah, like demonic possession, I feel, must taste like pennies and fire. Maybe 
Black olives. Oh, yeah. Maybe black olives. Like, do you think those are a little too flavorless for demonic possession, though? (laughs) I just can't stand them. (laughs) I like black olives. (laughs) I like black olives, too, but I like flavorful black olives. Maybe Not those canned. Maybe it's those, like, like canned ones that people put on the garnish tray for for Thanksgiving that don't taste like anything. I, I, I actually used to make the black olives at Schlotzky's when I worked there. What? And it's Is just like, like your only job. Yeah. <laughs> so I was the I was the olive squeezer. Like I had to put cans of those flavorless black olives into cheesecloth with garlic powder and squeeze all the liquid out of them. So I feel mm. like that, and that's more like demonic possession. Like, like that's what demonic possession is in a nutshell: is having your soul put in cheesecloth with garlic and black olives and squeezed out, and then served on a sandwich. But as a trade-off, you get you know ima- unimaginable power. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could handle a few minutes in a cheesecloth if it would make the ladies like me. Ladies love a guy that's wrapped entirely in cheesecloth, smelling of garlic powder and brine. Yeah, yeah. We need to have the Faust episode at some point in time, because usually with unimaginable power, you just sort of fritter away on plastic miniatures and comic books. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would totally fritter my powers away. (laughs) Monkey's paws. Does anybody have any hell news this week? Boston, an unnamed masked man uh, wearing a cowl and hood and a completely face-covering mask, came up to a woman in a subway and held out his phone and it said, I am Satan. Uh, When the police kicked him off the train, he said he was trying to pick up her phone number for a date. (laughs) Oh, so she was cute. Well, yeah, I have to ask, uh, what's the verdict on this? Is this hot or not? Hot or not? I feel like this could be be a new segment where we rate behavior such as this. (laughs) As well as demons and monsters, such as the Pope. We've all, we all, like, if we want to calibrate public monster, hot. Okay, okay. That's right. I heard monsters such as the Pope, and I really thought we were going to a bad place. (laughs) Well, there's that, especially if you enjoy the paintings of Francis Bacon. Mm -hmm, hmm. Popes are monsters. But if we have if we if we set up a rubric where on one end of the spectrum we have the public monster and then on the other end of the spectrum we have dudes trying to awkwardly pick up girls with this whole like I am the devil thing. Yeah. Let's let's put out a poll on our Twitter where, you know, trying to pick up girls pretending to be Satan. Scale of scale of 1 to 6. Oh, I was just going to say yes or no. Like, would this work on you? Well, no, it should be one to seven, I think, obviously. Oh, one. Okay, I'll take a one to seven. Oh, it has to be one one to seven. seven. And I think. Okay, so yeah. Like, seven is the, like, thumbs up, the most thumbs ups. Yes. So, like, Tom Ellis as Lucifer is seven, essentially. Like, if he were to to approach you on a subway or whatnot, yes. Some Mm. rando dude in a hoodie who can't even muster. The gumption to say the words. Oh, but he's dark and mysterious. He's brooding. Okay, so go to uh, Jacob. What's our Twitter? It's the Dispatchist. Okay, <laughs> that was said with such disdain. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like that. I don't know how to internet. <laughs> go to our Twitter. The seven percent possibility this poll will be live when you hear this. Jacob, make a note to yourself. So. I really, really want to know, because Austin doesn't really have a subway, but I do have a black hoodie and a a cell phone. You know, like, 
if you think this works, I am Satan. Hi. Maybe you could create your own subway too. Like, I feel like that's an added level of commitment that might turn some heads. What do I look like? Elon Musk? <laughs> let's, let's <laughs> Dear Elon Musk. <laughs> there are at least 20 subways, subway franchise restaurants out there. Oh, yeah. If you just go to a subway restaurant dressed in your hoodie and awkwardly hold your phone out to ladies with (laughs) (laughs) i am satan i am satan with 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 like not even in the proper like case font yeah or font let's see what happens Uh, it's 2020 it's a strange year it might work (laughs) i might have better luck with the black olives and the cheesecloth actually what i think (laughs) you should do is go to subway restaurants in your hoodie Get a magic slate. Remember those magic slates we had as a kid? Oh, yeah. And write I am Satan on that and hold that up. Yeah, we have one. It's green or black and green. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of, that almost have a charm to it. I think it would. Yeah. And then we'll do a, so you'll do magic slate, do an Etch-A-Sketch. You know, we'll think of some other, uh, an, uh, light bright. Oh, I mean, a light bright. Ooh, there's some, there's some commitment there. Like, that's an <laughs> investment in time and effort. Mm-hmm. And a generator. <laughs> That's right. All around a generator to keep your light bright yeah. going to pick up girls. So let's go back to hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we are. What are, we, what are we talking about today? Uh, this week is demons and Mesopotamia or Mesopotamian demons or possibly hello from Captain Howdy. I don't know. So explain to me the connection between Captain Howdy and Mesopotamia. It's somewhat indirect, uh, routing through the exorcist via Ouija boards, Linda Blair and Pazuzu, who introduced himself as Captain Howdy. So I have a rando question that is actually not not so rando, but is Zozo related to Pazuzu? Who? Are they two different things? Zozo is the Ouija board demon. I kind of looked into this when we were discussing like mirrors in the dark and things like that. Your hand jitters when you're playing Ouija board and it tends to produce Z-O-Z-O-Z-O-Z-O as it oscillates. Oh. So the name Zozo has kind of manifested as the creature that responds to you when you ask, is anybody there to a Ouija board? It will say Zozo because those are the random letters. But in The Exorcist... Pazuzu, who does have a kind of similar name, introduces himself as Captain Howdy through the Ouija board, and that's how the demonic force kind of enters Linda Blair's life. Uh, So that's kind of the association between Pazuzu, Zozo, similar name, Captain Howdy, and the Ouija board. Oh, okay. Okay. What? So it's an indirect connection, but people have suggested that Pazuzu, through that connection, is Zozo. Zozo's a very recent demon, though. It's kind of a 20th century demon. Yeah, urban legend demon sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Because he's also connected to Led Zeppelin. Okay. Zozo or Pazuzu? Zozo. Oh. Because I think there's a whole mythos about the Led Zeppelin logo that has the, looks like Zozo. Okay, so it could be the alchemical symbol for Saturn. There's something about the alchemical. I don't know. It's on the cover of the fourth album. Listeners, all of you Led Zeppelin fans out there. The Four Symbols album had four symbols on it. Page designed his own symbol, 
Zoso, and though it resembles the alchemical symbol for Saturn, its meaning remains a mystery. Dot dot dot. This is the end of the preview that Google presents. <laughs> Draw your own conclusions. So the four members did DIY symbolism, and one of them is Zoso in a kind of scripty font. We don't know what that means exactly. It means something very significant to the person that wrote it down. Oh, it's mm. literally, like, it's not even a shape. It's Z-O-S-O. You can tell I was not a Led Zeppelin fan. And then, like, the other four symbols are, like, there's kind of a, an Irish Celtic circle naughty thing. There's an interlinked three rings, which I don't know any of the other members of Zeppelin. And there's, like, a feather in a circle. Hmm. Maybe it's a sword in a circle. It's a feather, and it's tied to Ma'at. The Judge of the Dead. Oh, okay. Is it a dildo? No. <laughs> it is a feather. <laughs> Mott did not have one of those. Feathers and dildos. Osiris specifically did not have one of those. Mott may or may not have. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Look, if I were a hard rock band in, what, the 70s and 80s, I would be putting, never mind, let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so maybe I made all, like, it's so-so, not Zozo. Right. I thought it was like a light soda, refreshing drink or something like that is what mm. it sounds like to me. Avocado Zozo for me, please. Yes. Okay. Demons. We kind of went mm-hmm. over this last time, but what's the difference between a demon and a god? Ooh, that's a very good question. Are you asking um, because there is an answer or is this a musing? I feel like there... No, like there was an answer, but I didn't get learnt enough, and I need some refreshing, like a nice refreshing avocado zozo. Mmm, zozo, for the good times. It's kind of continuum, really, from, like, deity to demon, and everybody's on there somewhere that's a major supernatural figure, I think. But like, there's not really, there's not really a line. I thought there was a line where you were like, demons, X, gods, not X. It, it was like it's was it, it was you don't worship demons, right? Yeah, you you shouldn't. It's a bad idea. Oh, um, oh, you shouldn't. But I mean, also over four thousand plus years, things change categories a lot, which is why there aren't really firm lines. Mm. Like Pazuzu was sometimes a god, and more recently a demon. A couple name brand demons seem to have like jumped over the line if there was one to become a god or a demon or something like that, and. <laughs> Then the reverse happens when, like, a major god becomes a demon because Israel, because uh, the Jewish faith declares him one. So, at some point, did people worship Pazuzu? Were, were there temples to Pazuzu? Probably not, but he was a very big-name demon. He's the king of the demons of the air. He's invoked rather heavily uh, as a ward against Lamashtu, who was a goddess sometimes— and later became a demon of kind of child killing and infertility and such. But I don't think I don't think Pazuzu was ever specifically a god. But again, the categories are kind of hazy. Can I can I say something that may get me into trouble? Oh, please. Or amusing that I've had for many, many years. So if we think, OK, like just this, this is this is roughly sketched out. OK, and broad categories, if, say, Demons are emissaries of a greater power of some kind, a power that is greater to them. Like they're they're intermediaries between gods or, you know, Satan and humans. Then does it follow 
that they are kind of equal, the structure is equal with Christianity, where you have saints who are the intermediaries between humans and God. If you'd said angels, I think I would have agreed with you totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so angels then. So angels and demons, because demons in some way, potentially, like specifically Satan, have been, they are kin to angels. Yeah, well, in the in the Legend of the Fall, they're certainly, like, directly related. And sometimes you get angels that become demons, like we talked about Samael last episode, uh, the Archangel of Destruction that also became really a Satan and the Satan. But demons in Mesopotamia, they do serve as kind of the functionaries of gods and goddesses, like the Gelo, the demonic police in the underworld, serve as Ereshkigal's henchmen. Basically, um, border demon, patrol. Demon, yeah, yeah, border patrol. That's that. That's fair. Uh, and that kind of Charon-like figure is also a demon who serves a job in in hell. Demons in Mesopotamia are lower level figures. They tend to be a little more monotask, a bit less independent. Civil servants. Thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, some of them are very civil servanty. In fact, one category of demon is based on the idea of civil servants. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I like them. They're they're called lurkers. <laughs> they wait by your door and snatch are. you. They wait by your door and snatch you away. The word is rabisu, and it means both a government official and a lurking demon at your door. I guess See, either one of them could just draft you or take you away or something. I, hmm. I freaking love that. I love that. I love thinking about demons and civil servants as the same thing or as, <laughs> as equivalent. And just one more thing about my whole saint theory is that saints, again, also have their own followings. So kind of like people who do sort of align with certain demons, people align with certain saints and pray for saints to do things for them or to, to petition on their behalf. Interesting. I see that corollary. I see it. But we've got three things. We've got angels, demons, and saints. Mm-hmm. Where saints are humans who have ascended, and they may have their own following and their own etc., but... They started as human, whereas angels and demons were never human. So somewhere it breaks down. Good point. Mm-hmm. Except for the Metatron, who does appear in a Kevin Smith movie, and uh, he's the voice of God. He was a human for a while. I think that was Enoch. That's a very specific case. But all three of these categories, they're all things that are invoked for protection. Mm-hmm. Um, you call on them by name in kind of a spell-like manner. I think they're kind of similar in some ways. You don't order gods around, but these lesser things, you, you can kind of ask for favors with impunity. Mm-hmm. Okay, hmm. I, okay I'm starting hmm. to... I feel like I need to create my own little flowchart or a diorama of all of this. Hmm. Like maybe, I, yeah, I need some craft. I need to craft this into something. This one, this one kind of, like, I'm struggling with, with this one because I hadn't thought about it. But you're right. Like, I'm I'm not a saint theologist, um, but like we we're sailors, and so we pay, we pray to the patron saint of sailing. Hagiologist. Hey, <laughs> Quit being right. <laughs> right. We're thieves, so we pray to the patron saint of thieves. Like we've got these prayers. There's like a million prayers. We've got feast days, and this is very Catholic. Um, but on the other hand, like 
we never call out to the angels. Oh, uh, like Michael, uh, per, you know. I yeah, Michael, uh, Michael the angel, save me. And do we ever? It's like, oh, Pazuzu, damn it! Take you know, you cut me off in traffic. I wish the golly would get you right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I go back to the Middle Ages. If you're looking at like spellcrafting and things like that, you do invoke the, the angels pretty regularly, and Saint Michael is invoked for protection. That is an angel. That's true. I did used. To, I had a magnetic Saint Michael on my yeah. dash of my car for a while. I think all three of these are kind of small, accessible versions of deity that you can not worry so much about it pestering. Mm-hmm. Oh, but here's a question. So, but the angel, like Michael, kind of was a like he was in both categories, right? He's both a saint and an angel. Is that right? Uh, I think most of the archangels are treated as saints. Okay, so maybe they're a special. Yeah. Yeah, they're a special category. Okay. But I don't think Michael was never a human. He's he's a seraphim, and he's always been one. Good point. You do say Saint Michael. Right. And George. Oh, no. Well, George was, he wasn't, he was human. He wasn't a, he slayed dragons, but he was human. Yes, I he think He wasn't so. an angel. Okay. No. But you're right. Demons, at least also from all the ghost shows I watch, um, the, uh, specifically the dead files, uh, whenever, um, the psychic is going through a house and uh, she encounters a demon. Like she knows like, oh, these are human spirits or these are non-human spirits. Non-human spirits are usually shadow people or demons. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So we all had different childhoods. You sure about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, although to be fair, Victoria, both your experience as a little girl and my experience as a little girl were very similar. It's when true. We it's uncanny. Yeah. It's like looking in a mirror. Yeah. Okay. So when you were, <laughs> when you were young enough to be taught about saints, and mm-hmm. you're going through your what's the word? Uh, Catechism. The, yeah. How were saints explained to you, as the very earliest? Well, I have a confession to make here. Oh boy. Um, I am somebody that people assume is Catholic. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and I never I, I there are many people I have never disabused of that. Like I've let them believe that I'm Catholic for a very, very long time. And I have no idea how to handle it because <laughs> um, like 20 years later, am I supposed to go to this person and say, like, by the way, I'm not Catholic um, because I really I play a Catholic on TV, essentially, like I am fascinated by it. And so I learned about the saints on my own, like as being kind of a Catholic uh lurker let's say so, okay, okay. so i learned about the saints as an adult okay so question is moot but i do want to say i really appreciate that you think of me as people i mean that's that's a step up in the world <laughs> jamin is people and victoria is catholic otaku <laughs> so I, I i feel like veering into the land of the blessed is seriously off topic but I think broadly you could say that the saints are people that were faithful to God and blessed by God and mm-hmm. kind of accepted into his into his care in heaven and act as intercessors, um, rather like angels do, but but they're very human and approachable. Okay. Did we ever address, Jamin, did we ever address your question, though, or what you were about to say before I went on my whole rant about oh, not being Catholic? Um, no, but it doesn't matter because the whole ELI-5, explain it like I'm five, mm-hmm. E-I, E, yeah, whatever. I, like, no one has ever ELI-5'd me a saint. Much the same as you, I was aware of the concept, 
and then as an adult, I would talk to people who this is like, I, I want to know, I, I want to ELI five saint and this may not be the time. St. Christopher was 12 feet tall and had a dog's head. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. His name is Christopher Kynocephalus, was a giant and had a dog's head. Yeah, that's, that's, um, wow. Hmm? What? Now I'm being Jamin again. What? <laughs> this is my Jamin impersonation. St. Christopher, whose name means Christ bearer, which strongly yes. indicates he was a made up character because it's awfully convenient that his legend involves carting Christ across the river. Uh-huh. was in some versions of his myth a giant with a dog's head. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and he's just like you and me, really. <laughs> Maybe more like me, I don't know. Um, kind of going back to Pazuzu and talking about like the nature of demons, there's a scene in The Exorcist that never would have happened, which is in the background you see a giant statue of Pazuzu. It's a very striking statue of Pazuzu for a number of reasons. That wouldn't happen because nobody makes giant statues of demons in Mesopotamia because that tends to draw their attention. So we mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's much more accurate is the pocket-sized Pazuzu that medallion that they find. That's, that's a lot more in line with what you'd see because you'd have these small medallions, little signs, little paintings that represent the demons, and you can use those to invoke them against things as protection. Demons are not good and evil, although I think they tend towards malevolence, but that's because they act as the gods, like, bastard right hands. Yeah, as civil servants, they're only doing their job. Just because their job annoys you doesn't mean they're evil. Yeah, but they're ambivalent, really. So they're so just yeah. like civil servants, they are true neutrals. Yeah, I, I, I think they tend to get more negative reputations as you get closer to the... BC 80 break demons become capital D evil demons really around like 600 BC or so mm-hmm. uh, around the, t- the post exile period where the Jews start interacting with the Persians and they start building this kind of dualistic pantheon theology where you really need to explain evil as a supernatural force so that you can let God off the hook. Mm. Uh, so, Two points. Doesn't in some of those amulets, or maybe the amulet of Pazuzu, he has a dog head, right? Uh, he does have a dog or a lion's head, so does his brother. Okay. Maybe it's a lion head. But yeah, some kind of critter with a tongue. <laughs> Admittedly, I mostly remember the footlong snake penis, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> you come for the dog's you head, would. you stay for the footlong snake penis. But yeah, he does have kind of a dogish, liony body and a lot of animal features. That's very common Mesopotamian demon- demonology is this kind of mixture of human and animal figures or features. So on the concept of demons' attentions, um, we talked about waging war an awful lot and war happened an awful lot. Do you think it would have made sense? Like you're gathering your army, village one against village two, and in the night... During the night, you sneak in and you build an 11-foot-tall statue of Pazuzu in your enemy's backyard. And then you just retreat. And that's it, right? Would that work? Be good psychological warfare, but... Like, it would, it would draw his attention and he would come. Yeah, but he might not come in a useful fashion. I guess well, you can't t- really tell a demon what to do. Yeah, I mean, he might say, oh, how nice of you to make this large image of me. I think I'll, I'll like embed myself in your army for a while and cause problems. Yeah. No, but you do any demon attention is not. Hmm. I see what you're doing. It's kind of like biological warfare with demons, but 
I, I yeah. feel that the risk is rather higher than the reward in this case. Also, there's a perfectly oh. legitimate God of oh. War you could call on. Can you build a statue of him in your neighbor's backyard? Yes, I guess. Who was the Mesopotamian God of War or goddess? No, goddess of, didn't we? It was Nurgle. We've already talked about her. <laughs> uh, Ishtar did it sometimes, yeah. and uh, I think I think God of War is actually like one of the big chief roles as well. So any major god in Mesopotamia could conceivably be like, so like the the Baal is the chief agriculture god, usually rain god, sometimes underworld god, frequently god of war. Like there's this list of like the standard big god things, and God of War tends to be on there. Hmm. Uh, I really think the idea of this like very nicely broken up pantheon is like post Greek. And really more like modern role-playing games. Oh, I see. What you, okay, I see what you're saying. Baal has a lot of the same characteristics as El does and Yahweh. They're both kind of thunderers, sky gods. They both have the ability to resurrect the dead in some cases. The only real difference is that Baal tends to be a little more Chthonian, a little more underworld, because mm. Mesopotamia had a stronger ancestor cult, uh, and the Jews didn't really have the concept of the dead as entities. Right. But um, they're very similar, and the same as Marduk and a lot of these other big-name gods, they are kind of this generic big-name god set. Like the chief god, Zeus, is a thunderer. They they overlap very heavily, and I think it's a more modern Greco-Roman interpretation where you have the god of X, the god of Y. Okay, so Jacob, with this, two questions. One is not a question. It's more of a suppository, supposition. We're talking... Mesopotamia, early people, like proto civilization, Ur. Like, this is the Ur civilization of Ur, right? And you mm-hmm. were saying each city state had its own temple to its own god. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, like, Marduk was Babylon? Question mark? I think that's right. And then Ereshkigal was one. Enki, no, she wasn't. Oh. Specifically, not her, but Ishtar was one. Ishtar was oh. okay. so, Anana had Anana, her. Okay. So, yeah. If each city-state has one specific deity, does this mean, like, they are, this, our deity is the war god, the famine god, the harvest god, like, is every god all-encompassing because each city-state has its own needs, or is that too broad? No, I think that's kind of, kind of close to accurate, because each city-state had, like, the big god, and that big god was frequently, like, adopted from another tribe. Yeah, I think that big god had to do a lot of the same jobs. All so. the jobs. And then once we got trade and commerce, it's like, oh, there's a lot of these. Then then they start, like you say, getting defined into pantheons. Okay. That that makes sense to me. Even if it's not right, we'll say that sounds good. Sounds good to me. Yeah. And I think maybe as the pantheon evolves towards like, oh, BC, you start getting more differentiation of these deities and things okay. like that. Building on this, second question. Jacob, you and I live in an HOA. What statue of an ancient demon should I build in the park to piss off the neighbors? <laughs> I'm I'm really into Bear right now. Mm. He's this like five-legged lion-headed thing. Will he destroy the neighbors? Question mark. He might roll over them. Oh, okay, that's fair. I feel like that guy <laughs> wouldn't there there's some kind of muppet that looks similar to that dude. What? Like I remember a Muppet a, a Muppet episode where they're doing something about like the windmills of my mind and there's some kind of little little Muppet that has like a what? little windmill legs. I have to look this up. But I feel like the Muppets, I feel like we would find a lot of 
demonic imagery in the Muppets if we really no. spent a lot of time. Not Jim Henson. I think in a good way. Well, that is a very strange Muppet. Did you look it up? Yeah. I did, I did. He's green with fraggle-like pink hair. What? And he has these kind of strange trefoil-like legs that spin as he runs. Yes! Link me, Amadeus. Muppet show windmills of your mind. We'll put it in the show notes for some reason. (laughs) And Jamin gets inspiration points for a Falco reference. (laughs) I link me Amadeus. Oh, I am. I'm the biggest Falco fan. <laughs> All is clear, der Commissar. Uh, so we were talking a little bit about demonic history, and I just want to point out the work of uh, Jeremy Black because he uses Pazuzu, our 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 bud, as kind of the quintessential representative of demonic evolution in Mesopotamia. Hmm. And so I don't know if you guys are familiar with his outline of the evolution of Mesopotamian demons. I mean... Absolutely not. (laughs) This is new to me. Okay, so really, like, he walks through a lot of layers of animal representation. So there's essentially five phases. The first is a formative phase, and this is in the late Ubaid and Uruk periods. I'm sure I mispronounced both of those things. 4,500 to 3,000. Okay. Um, and this during this period, uh, the features of different animals were first combined into a natural composite being. So I'm imagining those little flip toys as the, or books when you that you have as a kid where you're kind of oh, like yeah, creating. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, it's the ancient version of that where they're just kind of mixing and matching different torsos, heads, and legs. And the second one, which has a great name, is called the optimistic phase. And this is the Akkadian period when glyphic scenes uh, show the capture and punishment of nefarious demons. So we're moving into sort of the, the punishment, like like demons are bad, starting to, to need to be, um, they're nefarious. Humans, humans have power now. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Now we come to the balance phase. So we had the the pendulum has swung to the middle. And this is the old Babylonian period when we see cylinder seals uh, that mix images of good and bad in association with respect to mankind. So now humankind Mm -hmm. is also in the mix as being potentially good or bad. And then we have a transformative phase, as you do, um, with the Matinian. Autobots, roll out. (laughs) What'd you say? Autobots, roll out. Shreepong, <laughs> Pazuzu. Transformative is... phase, I'm sorry. Go, I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, no, no. This is the Mitannian, Cassite, and Middle Assyrian art of the 14th. You see that in the, in the Mitannian, Cassite, and Middle Assyrian art of the 14th to 11th century BCE, you see human-centered imagery of the old Babylonian period give way to a preponderance of animal-headed hybrids. So we're back to the animal mm-hmm. hybrids again. Okay. And then finally, the demonic phase, where um, the art represents, this is Neo-Assyrian and Neo-Babylonian art, where the art shows individual demons depicted in their full horror. So they've stopped being these kind of like, you know... Nebulous things. Potentially... Yeah, so they are horrible. They're horrible things now. And they have identity. And they have identities. So, yeah, like they they now have the little kind of like diorama 
of what they're capable of that travels with them everywhere that they go. So it's no longer, this is a bad thing that happens to me. This is a bad thing that has its own personality. Yes. So we started with these kind of weird little creatures to this kind of mixing of like, oh, okay, so we're interacting. And now it's like, oh, no, the demons are like they're responsible for the evil. Well, that kind of makes sense with Pazuzu because he's generally considered a very young demon. Like mm-hmm. he uh, he really erupted into his own about 1000 BC or so and developed a personality and kind of attitudes and people understood who he was. So that kind of fits that, that idea of him developing as a character, really. Interesting. And another interesting little tidbit, and we talked about this earlier, is that it was during the Hellenistic period that essentially demons were kicked out of the heavens and took their place in hell. Interesting. Interesting. So Google says the Hellenistic period was about 320 BC running through like 30 BC. And that really does kind of mirror the post-exile period of Judaism where they really started differentiating like evil and good and things like that because of Persian influence and dualism inherited from Zoroastrianism and such. That's kind of a neat coincidence is that everybody starts making these firm lines between upstairs and downstairs in the same broad period. This is kind of an interesting because like, as we've been talking about demons and classes of demons and types of demons and reasons of demons, I was kind of thinking, you know, it's like, okay, well, we've got Greek demons and Latin demons and Russian demons and, you know, all kinds of demons in the West and the East and the whatever. Like, how would we classify this? Like, you wouldn't say, oh, these are the Mesopotamian demons. Well, no, these are all we had. Like, these are the, well, I was going to say proto-demons, but they're the Ur-demons, right? These demons are the demons from which all future demons are based on, and therefore there's no point in classifying them because they are them. They're that, the old ones. Yeah, does that make sense? I mean, they, they, there are similarities in the demons of this time period. They're, they're messengers. They're, they're like lowercase g-gods. They're supernatural, but they're not... The huge, scary supernaturals that you need to be terrified of. Well, sometimes they are. But they're smaller than gods. They're a little more focused than gods. They're ordered around by gods. They can be ordered by humans if you're, if you got a lot of spine. Or a Ouija board. Or King mm. Solomon. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, King Solomon. Ooh. Mm. We'll get to him eventually, I assume. Or your Buffy. They Or Buffy. They share a lot in common. Uh, I, I think a lot of them have kind of the same origin as the djinn kind of these these wild spirits that are they're not gods but they're supernatural and bigger than us so there's a fan theory that linda blair was not possessed by pazuzu Mm -hmm. and uh it's 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 got some got some i think got some chops to it the idea is that pazuzu is a very male demon their pictures and he's invoked to protect girls and children and women of childbirthing status and things like that, because maybe because he likes the ladies. I don't know. Specifically, he's invoked against Lamashtu, who is a very hideous goddess of child poisoning and baby strangling and such. So the theory is that since in the book, the demon that possesses Linda Blair is never named, but Pazuzu is there because he's invoked, Pazuzu could be protecting the girl from possession by Lamashtu, who looks a little more like the part 
who speaks in a kind of demonic female voice. And like one way of backing this up is to, is that one of the few moments of peace for Linda when she's possessed, her name isn't Linda, is it? She's got another name. Fred. Oh, it's a uh, Reagan. 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 Okay. Reagan. One of the few moments that Reagan gets some peace is when wind blows through her room at night and Pazuzu is a god of wind. Well, a demon of wind. It's not really super compelling, but the book does not specifically identify the demon possessing her. So it's a good fan theory. Well, here's a, here's a, like, we need to add this to our master list. When we make our um, stop motion uh, movies, (laughs) we're going to redo The Exorcist. To be about please to be no, to put please. Pazuzu in the protector role, and we're going to add a laugh oh. track. <laughs> Demonologically accurate version of the Exorcist. That's right. We fixed it. We fixed the Exorcist. <laughs> it was all this time. It was broken. Uh huh. Didn't we also have a conversation about how because Pazuzu is a demon who scares other demons away? You invoke Pazuzu if you're currently infested with other demons, right? The, the evil we know versus the evil we don't know. I think we specifically have- he's he's good for uh, protecting girls and children and things like that. He's, he's kind of got a fertility spirit aspect, and he's kind of invoked in an apotropa- apotropaic way in that effect. This is really confusing, and now I understand why we have pantheons, right? I have... A, I have 27 gods. This one does that one thing. It's not, oh, I'm the god of air and war and protecting children and ruining your life. Like, this is really confusing. I, I think that's legit. Like, a lot of the stuff that Theseod put into, Hesiod put into Theogony, the book that describes exactly how Greek mythology worked, I think that was just desperate bid to put order over chaos. Aphrodite was a goddess of war in some versions. Uh, who isn't these days? I yeah, no, right? <laughs> Hestia, she's safe. Um, I personally feel like the desire to like box these gods into discrete units is like a little later and earlier there's just all the gods do everything at once. They're they're multitaskers. It's not clear and you know the first thing a fantasy writer wants to do is build a pantheon. True. Um, because we like mm. we like order. This kind of um, goes along with the whole civil servants and demons correlation as well, because you ha- like you want to impose a bureaucracy, right? You want to have like this form is supposed to go to Pazuzu, this one is supposed to go to you know the demon that handles you know staircases or whatever. Yeah, so right, right. you know. I think that's and also I mean to 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 your point people like you want things to be post-it notable like you want to have you know your little board with everything in its neat little little box but Mesopotamia was urban like that was a new thing at the time mm-hmm. they kind of and I think it- like as a as as infrastructure is building then you start to car- compartmentalize hmm. yeah that seems I believe it now that we've invented rooms we can have multiple rooms. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, exactly. Before before everyone lived under the same tent and now we have condos. Okay, okay. <laughs> Are y'all familiar with the movie Brazil? Yes. I it's my it's like one of my it may actually be my favorite movie, but the scene of the off the little 
offices where they're sharing a desk between the wall and fighting. Oh, yeah. Over it. yeah, like, yeah. I imagine Soviet- that is the civil service slash demon cubicle land. A lot of modern demonology was based on like the 17th century French court system of all things. Oh, that makes <laughs> yeah. total sense. Yeah, so that's, that's odd. So chaos. 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 Major category of demons uh, are what I've read somewhere as being described as the unruly mystic creature category. And these all have kind of Mesopotamian roots. You've got your Tiamat. You've got your Leviathan. You've got your Behemoth. You've got Tannin. You've got Mott, of whom we spoke last time. And all of these things kind of exist to be destroyed by the victorious sky god to legitimize his power. But they're also kind of these big expressions of chaotic nature and uncontrolled Uncontrolled deep chaos. Okay. The Leviathan, the Behemoth. What was the third one in the Bible? Uh, there really isn't one in the Bible. The Ziz is mentioned. Uh, oh, I thought kind- there were th- three big critters in the Bible. Uh, Leviathan and Behemoth. there's the the Beast of Revelations, which is on a different page. The big two in the Bible are Leviathan and Behemoth. And okay. the Ziz, which is a bird, was added later on. Maybe there were just two. Yeah. But anyways, it's kind of this broad category of creatures that seem to be there to establish that there's a chaos that the gods rebel against. And you got kind of that feeling of that with Zeus as well. Uh, even El gets to destroy Leviathan in one myth. And this is kind of the combat myth trope uh, that pops up regularly. Uh, but a lot of these kind of have their antecedents in Mesopotamian mythology and kind of get categorized later as demons. I know that Leviathan and Behemoth are both listed on some Princes of Hell lists today. What? Just a big fish and the thing with the... I know, I know. Okay. So, Jacob, thinking about this category of demon, then, is where the wild things are. Could we see that as, like, part of the demonic canon? Yes, but I think in a different section of the Bible. This this was really neat because it combined hyenas and Lilith on one page, which made me very happy. There's kind of a scene in Isaiah where they're talking about the fall of Babylon. And if you look into the, like, the linguistic structure of the sentences and parallel structures and things like that, you've got this flock of demons dancing in the wilderness. And I, I've kind of thought about that, and I thought where the wild things are kind of felt right there. It also kind of evokes the image of like the jinn capering in the desert whirlwinds and things like that. Let's see, Isaiah 13.20 and 34.14 it's talking about the fall of Babylon and like salting the earth there. Uh, Arabs will not pitch their tents there. Shepherds will not make their flocks lie down there. But wild creatures will lie down there, and the houses will be full of howling creatures. There ostriches will will live, and goat demons will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers, and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close as hand, and its days will not be prolonged. Wild cats shall meet with hyenas. Goat demons shall call to each other, and there too Lilith shall repose and find a place to rest. And the owls will nest and lay and hatch and brood in its shadow. And there two buzzards will gather, each one with his mate. Some of these words invoke uh, the satyrs, the hairy goat demons. I babbled about them at length. And uh, kind of reference to Azazel as well. But like the howlers is kind of a category of demon that th- these verses establish. And Lilith or the Lilithu kind of spirits that are related to her. And the, just this image of these, these things clustering and cavorting in like the far off wilderness is really powerful to me. But yeah, where the wild things are and where the demons are, that those are overlapping concepts. Also demonic ostriches. So you know what else this is? 
this is the blueprint for the party we're going to have when once we're all vaccinated. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm there. <laughs> well, the avocados will be ready by then. <laughs> I also wonder, I don't know, like, I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into where the wild things are, but sort of childhood as this kind of uh, liminal space where you can sort of move between worlds and you are still impressionable by both both impression like you can cavort with demons and, and remain unscathed, but you can carry that into your into your life. Hmm. It's an idea. I think that ties into like the invention of childhood and yes. when did we get the concept of children being innocent. Right. Or transitional. They they're dark. Children are dark. Because they exist so. in that space. <laughs> yeah, true, true. This is my this is one of my other little arguments. Speaking about things that go bump in the night. We're going to talk about why there's so much of a fixation on interrupting sex in Mesopotamian demonology. Let me cut you off right there. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It it, 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 it was a weird thing, though, reading through uh, the myth of Ishtar, where they talk about demons interrupting sex several times. It was granted the same verse repeated over and over again, but still it was kind of stand, it stood out as being a little, little strange. Why would we're, they care? <laughs> we're back to the, the Galae again, right? The- yeah, the Gala did this. These were uh, a category of demons. They were kind of demonic police officers. Demons who know no food, know no drink, eat no flower offering, drink no libation. I mean, all demons don't receive offerings. That's kind of like that. Never enjoy the pleasures of marital embrace. Never have any sweet children to kiss. They snatch the son from a man's knee and they make the bride leave the house of her father-in-law and take the wife away from a man's embrace. Wait. Also. What from a man's knee? His son. S-O-N. S-O-N. Yeah, they're bastards. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, I was like the, I was thinking the S-O-N. I was like, well, that shouldn't be there, but. No, okay. they They take away the child hanging on a wet nurse's breasts. And worst of all, they crush no garlic and they eat no leeks. So what's the deal with the garlic and the leeks? So no they're, clue. They're not Italian. Oh, oh, okay. I have a theory. Ooh. Um, and I could be totally wrong, but I think that has to do with lactation. Oh, I could believe that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel Wait. like there's some connection to lactation there. I, I think it's about offerings, possibly. Yeah, maybe. I'm. I'm not sure. But but regardless, a lot of the interrupting sex thing is about like what is most important to civilization. Uh, we have a lot of people in this world. In Austin, there are probably as many people as there were in the entire world back in 3000 BC. So the idea of reproduction was important. Humans had a lifespan of like 30 years. Civilization was built on having more people. Mm. So the idea of like cutting off the reproductive cycle was a little bit bigger then than it might be now. And I, I also kind of wonder if that's like patriarchal priesthood establishing itself in like the writing of this, but I can't prove that in court. I wouldn't even try. That, that, that kind of makes sense. Like I've got a farm and I need nine strong sons to help me run my farm. And you'll remember that if you die, you're only happy if you have nine strong sons. Oh, oh and yeah. So, okay. So if, preventing like if if the galley got you and you only had six strong sons your farm wasn't productive and your afterlife sucked 
a little more. bit, not as not more, not yeah. not as much. But then, yeah. if they're just civil servants doing their job, why are they like, oh man, why? Well, these these are kind of described as particularly heartless. Hmm. I mean, they don't they don't enjoy any of the pleasures of humanity. That's kind of specifically called out. They're they're ruthless. There's like these are like seven fairly powerful demons that are the police of hell, and they are unkind. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. Okay, hang on. These guys, the Galais, are civil servants, right? Their job is to patrol the underworld where the dead go and bring them back. Yes. Only people that get born die. True. So by ruining everyone else's life... And they have less to do. Yeah, you, it was like, look, if I worked for the if <laughs> if I worked for the DMV, I would be like, you didn't, you can't have a license, right? You're not allowed to drive anymore. If I could make my life better by making the entire world not have to come to me, genius. No, I see. It does it does sound like my time in government work. Yeah, I see the logic here. It makes perfect sense now. I think I buy. I kind of buy the in, the kind of growing infrastructure argument Mm. and trying to kind of like control like stave off chaos of having too many souls Mm. i thought as an occasional linguist you might be particularly interested in baal jaman oh i could i could talk about baal for hours so i'll i'll try and limit myself sure the whole the root um the all the l uh, the Elo, the Allah, uh, the Elohim, like all of those kind of, they're cognate with the same word. And, you know, you said it, we've got these sky gods, we've got these gods, we've got, it's just the name for God, right? If yeah, you or, have, or king or something like yeah, that. It's, it's before, before, before we had named gods, we just had gods, right? So before we had the, the Tetra, Oh gosh, the tetragrammaton, tetranomaton, what's the word? Tetrapoodleton. Tetragrammaton. Yeah, grammaton, tetra, tetragrammaton. We just had L. Yes. And it was it was just like, oh, these are all kind of fascinating things because all these vastly different things, Baal, Elohim, Allah, I mean, I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings when I say this, they're all the same person. Yeah. Underworld slash sky god sort of idea. It's 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 the big chief. Yeah, and, and ba- Baal eventually developed his own personality and featured in his own kind of myth. And as the Hebrew Bible was written, he became a major rival to El. But at least in the beginning, he was just the god. And frequently, Baal and El were interchangeable in some yeah. ways. It's it's kind of like how Zeus, and this is purely from a linguistic perspective, of which other research backs this up, Zeus could be pronounced Zeus. As in Latin, deus. Like, you've got this these two very similar words for the chief god. Huh. Right? And all you're missing is just a little bit of elision on your dental, uh, your voice dental fricative? Interesting. Yeah. Have, have you never heard that? No, I, this, that one's new to me. Yeah, Zeus. Like, he's the god. Like okay. Dr. Zeus Dr. in uh, Planet of the Apes? Yeah, also the god. I was thinking of Dr. Zayas and Hiram Here's a Who, but I may be wrong there. Hiram Here's a Who? <laughs> Hiram? Who's... 
that's a Dr. Seuss joke. <gasps> oh, do- oh, everyone gotcha. make everyone make zooming noises as the joke goes over your head. I was oh, gonna make cricket noises. Uh, that works too. Maybe I should change my my background to crickets. <laughs> so one of the Baal is also kind of one of the big names in hell. He's a standard prince of of the underworld sort of thing. One of the big seven. Beelzebub is also on the list as a major major demonic prince. Sometimes another name for the devil. Mm-hmm. And and the and Beelzebub has that that phoneme L. Beelzebub is Lord of the Flies. So Bay L and then presumably it's Ub, which means flies. No, this one's actually this one's actually a lot funnier than that. Oh, okay. Um, this is some really old school shade throwing on the part of uh, Jerusalem. So Baal Zebel was, you know, one of the balls, basically. And there are so many balls, they're all the same creature. Sometimes they're different, sometimes they have independent identities, but since every city had their own god it's probably not really any difference between them except locally. You actually get that with Aphrodite and other gods as well. There's like instances of these gods that have their own personality, but they kind of flow into the same root god. Hmm. And Baal Zebel was was one of those, probably. But so the name Baal Zebel is it's uh Zabel is kind of Lord of the Long House, Lord of the High House. Zabel is like the high house or the, the, the great house or something like that. So Baal Zabel was basically Lord of the Heavens or mm. Lord of the Great House. Just another way of saying God again. But the um, Jews started trash talking the temple and they used a kind of pun play on words for Zabub instead of Zabel. And Zabub means flies or the dung heap. Ooh, okay. So, so they yeah. like shifted one letter, and I think a fairly similar letter, to change the Lord of the High House to the Lord of the Flies and just kind of, you know, turn him into a laughingstock. I love that story. Interesting, interesting. Wow. That changes that changes everything. It gives it a nice perspective. It does. It, it almost, it's like, it, it makes you think of the Jeff Foxworthy story where he's, you know, it's like, hey, y'all, get in the truck. We're going up to the big house. And people are like, oh, ha, 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 hey, guys, get in the truck. We're going to the dung heap. I thought you are like, you might be a demon if. <laughs> so in sort of a Joseph Campbellian, James Frasery riff, um, Baal is also one of the resurrection gods. In, his, in the Baal cycle, he and his brother Yam, spelled like that, uh, get into a fight. Um, and El says he's going to favor Yam. Uh, but Baal kills Yam and takes over his chief god. Fair. And then he goes on to kill Mott, which you have your killing the chaos god. Not the tusk Giant slug. S- slug, yes. Oh. Um, oh, our friend our, from our from our sitcom. I just made it to season two, and they canceled it. Oh. <laughs> Spoiler. Mott, Mott kills Baal in the adventure. and then, Plot twist. And then <laughs> a version of Ishtar, possibly, or Athena, her name is Anat, kills off Mott later on. And then somehow Baal gets back up, uh, which is also killing killing death in its own way. Unfair. I know, I know. So he has this this dying god trope happening, which people have suggested is, resembles Jesus' resurrection, but it's a fairly major trope that recurs an awful lot. I feel like maybe Mott will come back in a later season, but played by a different actor. Oh, that ruins it for me. Like, the story's great, but Mott 1 was better. Do you know about Adam's three wives? Uh, I know... Lilith, Lilith, Eve, and... I don't think the third one has a name. 
Brenda? Brenda? Uh, Bernadette, maybe? Mm, okay. We'll call her Bernadette because I like that name. But yeah, Adam in, I think, the Haggadah had three wives. The first one was Lilith. And in that story, Lilith was created in the same manner that Adam was, like from the earth. And God said, hey, we've got this guy and you're going to be subjugated to him and stand around while he names everything. And she flew away. And remember that Lilith is tied to to night birds and night demons now. So that flying away is kind of important. And then slept with Samael, the archangel. And after that, I can't imagine that Adam would have been any good after you sleep with an archangel. Rude. So rude. So his second wife was created to be subservient to him in a more direct way. And Adam was kind of hanging around and God started building this creature for him. He like constructed the skeleton and the blood vessels and capillaries and the organs and the subcutaneous fat and the eyes and the skin over everything. And God said, here, you should sleep with this. And Adam screams and runs away. Yeah, you don't want to watch your girlfriend get constructed. Like, what, yes. a, what a turn off. <laughs> so she, I don't think she even gets a name. Oh, but so it's next- kind of like Bride of Frankenstein, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. So Eve, Adam was unconscious when Eve was made, and that probably helped their marriage a lot. <laughs> I, yeah. I do enjoy yes. that you added subcutaneous fat. Like, that was a detail that I just want our listeners to know. (laughs) This is the added value you get from our podcast. (laughs) Valid. But Lilith is another Mesopotamian demon that lingers into the Old Testament in a pretty big way. She maybe originally was a general class of female baby strangling demons, but she has more of a mother element than maybe the Lamashtu did. I've heard her described as a mother of demons, Samuel's wife again. There's a, a fun role-playing game, which I adore, called Innominé. Have you seen that one? No. It's it's a local product, Steve Jackson Games. Ah. And uh, it's, it's a French comedy translated into English where angels and demons are, in a modern world, kind of satirically fighting each other. In that one, Lilith is established as the demon princess of freedom because of her myths. And I thought that was really cool. So do you get to wear costumes? No, it's not a LARP. We tried oh. Innominé LARP. It didn't work. Oh, yeah. okay. And we tried well. it for years, actually. So how does Lilith Fair fit into all of this? I don't I don't <laughs> feel like it quite does. But, she, I mean, as kind of an anti-establishment rebellious spirit, yeah, she kind of captures, like, GBLT in some ways, maybe. I love that, yeah, like, Lilith has kind of been embraced. Kind of like... Um, like Vanity Fair. The, the Aztec version of Lilith. Huh. Wait, what? Is it Tanatsin? I know I'm pretty mis- Yeah. Wait. Yeah. She's sort of the anti-Virgin de Guadalupe. Um, I don't know that one. I'll have to look that, that myth up. Um, she is kind of like this dumping ground for everything bad about women in rabbinical lore. It's kind of just like the dark side of, of the feminine in some ways. And not, not in like a mysterious and strange dark side, but like the worst. But she's really become, I think, redeemed in, this, in the last century or two as a powerful like female myth. You can't have a proper patriarchy without like an explanation of why all women are bad. Well, between Eve and Lilith, you can just blame everything on the two of them. Oh yeah, there's a there's a Cramp song. If if anybody, I I can share this song uh, by the Cramps with you called "All Women Are Bad," and it it outlines 
all of the historic women that have done bad things, including Eve and Delilah and oh, Delilah. et cetera, et cetera. Hey there. Mm-hmm. All women are bad. Uh, They've got one- groovy wiggly tails and horns <laughs> on their heads. All women are bad. <laughs> one more from this period, uh, Moloch, who may or may not have existed as a named character. Oh, wait, this is Moloch. This is, this is, oh man. Hmm. Uh, another good linguist name. The MLK root, because the Semitic languages don't have vowels in them, so you get a lot of strange puns, but the MLK letter cluster root thing, it turns up in like the name of a major group of angels, the Malachim, kind of means strength of God, but also with some quirky vowel stuff, it turns into like this idea of child sacrifice. Yeah. And, and this whole vowels are not informative. Like vowels, hmm, what, what, whoa, what's the word I want to say? Like linguistically, this follows to English. English coming from Old English, which is kind of an old Germanic kind of uh, bits of romance where it's like the, a word is a word because of the consonants. And then the way the word is because of the vowels, right? Yeah. So Moloch, the name of this kind of child-burning demon bull thing, is the root MLK, mm-hmm. which means maybe giving or something like that, or possibly king, combined with the vowel structure of the word meaning shame. Hmm. Wow. And so I, w- I want to say this beforehand, but like in English we have this where it's like bath, bathe, run, ran, right? Mouse, mice. Where the the informative structure is the consonant, but then the vowel shifts how we view it. So yeah, like if you have Moloch, which is information and then vowels. Hmm. So you're saying consonants, those are they're meaning bearing, and vowels are just linguistic tools to make the consonants pronounceable. No. Continents are meaning-bearing. Vowels are... Inflection? Inflection, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, like, I, I ran it to the store. No. Right? So, the like, if we were to break... If English were a Semitic language, it'd be R apostrophe N. Um, okay. Uh, let's go back to Moloch. Okay. So, th- there's a lot of question of whether Moloch actually existed as a as a figure, because... He he's named as a god sort of thing or demon sort of thing in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Whoever he be of the children of Israel, the strangers that, that sojourn in Israel, that giveth of his seed unto Moloch, he shall be put to death, the people shall stone him with stones, etc., etc. So he's named as a character, and this is kind of ends up being like this kind of bull idol deity of child burning and child sacrifice, which uh, is tied to the the idea of Gehenna, because Gehenna is tainted as a place because that's where the sacrifice took place. But there's a question of whether the MLK sacrifice was just like the idea of child sacrifice, or even maybe just have been cult prostitution. We don't really know. Uh, and maybe Molech only exists as a, as a deity-type character in the Bible, in the Old Testament, because one of the odd things about him is he has no relationship with the rest of the the pantheon he has no relationship with the rest of the pantheon he just exists in the bible yeah so maybe just demonizing the other there yeah there's two things i kind of take away from this is one this is one of those this is the scary thing the other people do that we don't do yes you know the we live in austin 
and in Houston, they serve boiled broccoli in the schools there. Like, oh. yeah, like how and, terrible. And black olives. Uh, I like black <laughs> olives. We live in Austin. In Dallas, they have 635 The Loop. Like, can you imagine how terrible it is to have seven lanes of traffic? Ah. So much of these stories are... Demonizing like, the other. Yeah, demonizing the other, exactly. In fact, all of the Satan myth, according to Elaine Pagels, is demonizing the other. It's just this mm. recurring cycle of of making the other seem darker and scarier than it is. And then mm. the second part for Moloch, which we started this conversation about Moloch about 20 years ago, you and uh-huh. I, and I kept meaning to do some actual real work. So it's like, okay, the, there's a lot of metaphor. Where, okay, so it's like they pass their seed over the coals. And this is interpolated. It's like we put our children into the furnace, right? But is it? Is it metaphor or is it? Okay, look, guys, literally, I like, I harvested my corn, I husked my corn, and I threw the seed into the furnace. Poof, popcorn. So I read about this in the Dictionary of Demons and Deities of the Bible, which is an amazing and very heavy book. And. Ultimately, the only thing they can say about MLK is there was sacrifice. And they think that it was likely that children were involved in it, but no one's really sure. It's it's kind of hazy, and it's all a lot of othering. Hmm. I want to do more research, and I, I promise you I won't. But just the, <laughs> the concept of Thank seed, you. right? The concept of seed is, uh, let's go back to Onan, right? Let's. Oh, dear. Right, okay. Everything uh, goes back to Onan. We're going to we're going to try and keep this moderately polite. For a while, there was a term called onanism. I think it still exists. Oh, really? Hmm, okay. Well, hmm. Uh you can google that one. At work. <laughs> exactly, on your work computer, please. Okay, onanism is the act of spilling seed. Onan committed a sin because he spilled his seed. Which seed is like the that's uh, well, that's your sperm. Right, that's the root of all life. As we know it, seed is the important part. We're in a patriarchy, women don't matter. And so if you spill your seed, that is Yeah, uh yeah, you're not creating life. Like that could have been your son, you spilled it. So it's like if you're putting your seed into the fire, it's like are you just like onanizing in front of the barbecue? Is that really something terrible like i keep wanting to think this whole concept of moloch as you put babies into the furnace but really you're just masturbating in front of the fireplace (laughs) yeah yeah that's thank you because i feel like nobody would ever put babies in the furnace nobody puts babies in baby in the furnace well the smell would be terrible (laughs) unless they're in fruit and, oh, and crude. Oh, you wrapped them mm-hmm. in dough first. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. I don't want anyone to correct me on this on Twitter. The sin of Onan was not masturbation necessarily. It was not sleeping with his brother's wife or something yes. very specifically along that line. It was more about uh, family lines than every sperm is sacred. <laughs> in the 50s, okay. pastors said Onanism is bad. Okay, well, that's a major hobby then gone out the window, so to speak. (laughs) 
I feel like, yeah, it's been appropriated to mean, you know, to, to serve different purposes. So there's a restaurant I love going to called Conan's Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the sea was burned out one day. <laughs> yes. Do you have a favorite demon, Jacob? Well, Victoria, I think I can today. Um, I'm really probably more in like with than I should be, Burr, who is a lion's head with five goat legs, and he's adorable. I, I fully support this, and I feel like if you don't get a tattoo, some there has to be some representation of him somewhere. Yeah. He's, he's so cute. He's adorable. Well, he's got he's this like, nice. He's got this charming little smirk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got so many legs. I know. Oh. Jamin, do you have a favorite demon this week? Yes. This kind of goes back a bit, but we'll go all the way back to the Dodge Dart demon, which was the 70, <laughs> 71, 72 variant of the Dodge Dart, right? Two-door <laughs> fastback coupe with a Hemi. <gasps> yes. Right? And this goes back to the, the um, Ford... Succubus or incubus <laughs> or whatever the <laughs> the 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 succubus is a little tiny sports car like it's a you know it's tiny four cylinder super maneuverable the Dodge Demon is big and loud and obnoxious and the only reason you drive it is to say onanism is bad kids Victoria <laughs> oh I'm just looking at the Dodge Demon so my favorite demon is not he's not a real demon. But he is Lorne from the uh, oh, yeah. TV show Angel. Um, yeah, he, the, was, he was big. Yes, he owned a karaoke bar. And to me, that is the perfect occupation of a demon and a demon that I would want to be friends with. Mm, mm. Karaoke demon, man. Well, y'all, I think that's enough about demons. So we will see you in hell. I'm already there. <laughs> this podcast is copyright 2021 by the dispatchist and its creative commons you're welcome to reuse with attribution look for us on your favorite podcast app say hi to us on twitter or gmail at the dispatchist no spaces Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.